Coming up next on the Creativity in Motion podcast, we talk with filmmaker Elvis Wilson. We demand more of ourselves in our personal work, which is the way it should be. So failure actually becomes a creative component. Hi, my name is Chris Hollow. And I'm Mark Mosry, and this is episode number two of Creativity in Motion, a podcast about creativity where we talk with creatives of all kinds to find out why they create and especially how they overcome creative obstacles. In this episode, we're going to be talking with Elvis Wilson, and we'll be talking about why it's hard sometimes when you have a, a creative day job to also be creative at night on your own on your own projects. That that's a good topic. That is a good topic. Before we get started, let's uh, talk a little bit about our sponsor, Nosy College of Art and Design. Opened its doors in 1973 as a fine art school and has since transformed into a state-of-the-art, nationally accredited arts college. They offer bachelor degree programs in illustration, graphic design, video and film, photography, and beginning in May of this year, they'll begin offering culinary workshops in their new state-of-the-art kitchen, followed by an associate's degree in culinary arts beginning in the fall of 2021. NOSI has a beautiful 55,000-square-foot facility that was built with the art student in mind. It includes state-of-the-art labs, production suites, photography and video studios, and a fully stocked equipment cage. To learn more about NOSI, you can go to nosi.edu, that's spelled N-O-S-S-I edu, and you can check out the campus virtually by going to nosi.edu slash about slash campus. Elvis Wilson, our guest today, is an award-winning graphic designer, screenwriter, and filmmaker based here in Nashville. He studied commercial art and photography at Middle Tennessee State University, just down the road in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He's known for his feature-length documentary, Being Lincoln, Men with Hats, and more recently, his feature film, Fog, which he both wrote and directed and recently completed the sequel to Fog. He's also a graphic designer working on projects like print ads, logo design, album design, and even integrated print and motion campaigns. Elvis Wilson, thank you for joining us today. I'm honored that you would even ask on, well, yeah. on this, the 212th birthday of Abraham Lincoln. Did you know that? Today? Today, February 12th. Man, he's looking good too. Have you seen him <laughs> in all these commercials? <laughs> he never ages. He's a stud. Yeah. <laughs> so that, tell me, let's start off with that. I want to, I want to hear about that project because I've seen Bing Lincoln and you can see it where uh, YouTube, right? Yeah, it's free. We had our run two years on uh, the now defunct uh, documentary channel, um, even popped up on Showtime a couple of times, which really surprised me. I was in the shower and started getting all these phone calls and people were like, dude, your documentary's on Showtime. You know, it was like late night Showtime, but uh, still, it was pretty cool. How did it happen? Yeah, I just, I mean, how, do, how did you get the idea and... How did you execute it? And it yeah. was this was in 2000. It was a long time ago. 13? Uh, 2008 is Eight. when we uh, got distribution. So it, it was a while back. But uh, the origin story for the documentary, my wife, she's a big history, uh, big history fanatic. You know, she loves history. She loves reading about history. Uh, she's a Metro English teacher. Uh, she'd been working on. Um, when my first son was born, uh, worked on a little uh, book project called Meeting Mr. Lincoln, Lincoln. And what she did was she found all these letters that people wrote 
Lincoln, whether they were fans or foes of Lincoln. And she uh, put them together in a kind of a, you know, a very structured way uh, of presenting, you know, the story of how they met Lincoln and how they felt about Lincoln afterwards. And um, so we, we always have Lincoln around our house some, some way. And um, about 2005, uh, they were having the big unveiling of the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois. And um, on ABC News that night, they had about 35, 40 guys dressed up as Lincoln show up. So he soon discovered that there was a National Association of Lincoln presenters. So um, we looked at each other and we're like, that would make a great documentary. And my wife, who is very, very, she's, she's very specific about the things she'll deep dive into. And she, she let me play basically with that. And so we developed kind of an idea, started following these guys uh, over about four, four years. And, um, it, the guy we followed won this Abraham lookalike contest. It was sort of a built-in narrative. So uh, that's how that came to be. Um, but, uh, met a lot of guys that I still stay in touch with. Um, so if you need to know something about Abraham Lincoln, uh, I can get you an answer. <laughs> well, I, I've seen the documentary and it, it's really cool. And you shot the thing yourself. Like, I, I did. You were, you, you were a one man band, right? I, For I the was, whole thing. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was, it was my, it was a way of educating myself about the process. I, you know, truth be told, I did Lincoln, not because I wanted to, to do a documentary, I wanted to do narrative work, but a documentary is a good cheap way to get your feet wet. It was film school. It, it was film school. But um, I hope you agree with me. The best documentaries are structured just like traditional movies. They have a beginning, middle, and end. They have protagonism, antagonism. They have a climax. They have a, you know, uh, the, you know, the greatest loss moment, you know, the, all his lost moments and, uh, big finales. So had fun doing it. Well, and you're also, um, I've also seen your movie fog. Where can we find that? That's tell us a little bit about that. Fog is still, if you're Amazon prime, it's funny. It, it clicks on and off. Sometimes you have to rent it. Sometimes it's free. So I, I don't know, but it, it had its run. We, um, we had a red box deal when it, premiered very very happy with that that's where we made most of our money back and uh yeah currently just amazon prime mm -hmm. i haven't really tried to you know get another deal we haven't tried to inter international the idea was fog 2 which um um i've written ready to shoot if we can uh, get funds and uh that will be a fun little ride you've got two a documentary and a feature film yeah and you did all of those while working full-time creatively at a your job. Absolutely. How does that work? I mean, how, how do you, how do you go from being, you have a project that you, that you want to spend time on and yet you're doing your time being created for somebody else. Yeah. How do you kind of budget that creativity? Yeah. Good. I, I love that you guys are talking about this because I, I'm a lifelong creative and I know you guys are too. I mean, good company. I mean, that's what we have to do. I'm driven to think differently. I'm, I'm, I've been wired like this since I was a child. Um, I'm one of those kids that uh, 
um, my dad caught me drawing. And he's like, what is that? And I'm, I still have this little drawing at home. I, I was cross-hatching at seven. So, you know, I, I just looked from the beginning at things differently. So I had no choice being a poor kid from East Tennessee but to work and squeeze in the creativity or starve, you know, uh, starving artists. That's, that's always been me in college. I was working three jobs and still, you know, doing my art, art assignments, you know, um, I, I just don't know any different, you know, I, I do think it makes me a little more appreciative <laughs> of the time, I have when I can sit down and actually be creative. But uh, I think what you do, if you want to make a progression of something creative every day, you have to assign yourself a bit of me time. You have to be a little selfish at times. And uh, I've always managed to do that. If I, like when I was a kid, one of my first jobs was delivering ice. And what's that got to do with um, creativity? Well, you know, um, I study people. We're the kind of people that take your life experiences and put them in, in art. So, I mean, I really study people. Right? I don't mean that in a creepy way, but <laughs> I'm always applying, you know, the essence of the people I meet and what they do and how they say things, their cadence, their rhythm, you know, their culture, all those things I'm absorbing. So you can do that. Even if you're not painting, you're, you're still being creative. Mm -hmm. It's like research. You're paying attention. Constantly. You're endlessly curious. Yeah. And best word we'll use all day is curiosity. You have to have it. Yeah. You have to have it. I know. I mean, Chris and I talk about this a lot and we've had conversations with you. We're just, you're, we're just curious. Yeah. And it's that curiosity that will that will take you to those places. It's like a fire. I always be out hiking. My wife is like, why do we have to go up there? It's like, I got to see what's up there. You know, <laughs> it's an abstract. Uh, but so I, I have to see what's out there, you know. Do you find that you're, um, I mean, you're, you have more or less set hours, right, with your day job. So... Do you find that it's you squeeze in your creativity for your own work before, after, or sometimes during? <laughs> we don't want to get you in trouble. Lunchtime, but. yeah. No, I, I, I'm very de dedicated to my day job. I, and I, I love the people I work with. I am lucky in another regard. The people I work with, they appreciate my mind. You know, they understand what I bring to our work re relationship. So they they... Thank goodness, I, I bet you've heard this before. They expect the guy in the art department to be a little weird. <laughs> and they give me that, they give me that, that leash to be a weirdo. But, um, but the first part of your question, I am absolutely disciplined. Uh, it, it angers me when people call artists lazy or, you know, like even like actors. Oh man, the, some of the hardest working people. I've ever met in my life are actors. Uh, but I, I get up at uh, six every day. My alarm goes off. I'm in and out of the shower by six 30. I walk the dog. I am in my seat at my office at seven 30 every day. My first appointment, we have a, one of these zoom meetings every morning at eight 30. That one hour 
dedicated just to my stuff. I, I usually spend that time. I'll try to write a page. If I'm working on a script, I try to write at least one, two pages. If I'm reading a script, giving notes, I'll read for that hour. Uh, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but imagine if you write one page a day on a script. There's 365 days a year. You could write three scripts. Right. So um, people that say, I don't have time. Yeah, you, you probably do. You don't have the discipline to uh, to do what you want to do. Right. It's, all, it's time management. And yeah. We, we've been around people that have said, you know, giving presentations that if you can give yourself one hour a day, you've got a whole day, even, even eight day week. Yeah. You know? yeah. That is, that's good advice. Yeah. But, and, and I, I don't know why people make excuses. They're like, well, I, I just, you know, even if you have to sit and I do this, even if I can't be productive in that hour for whatever reason, I sit and stare or I research. Or, uh, for instance, I've got this idea about my, I've never written a kind of, um, cat and mouse thriller. Remember Steven Spielberg's duel. Mm -hmm. I see that happening, but to a guy who is on the AT trying to make his way to, you know, Vermont or somewhere. And this guy is stalking him the whole way for, we don't know why, you know, it's been done, but the way I'm envisioning it. What I'll do is like, hey, let's let's get let's keep that grinding. I, I I can't write today. I've had too much coffee. What can I learn about hiking the AT that will feed in a positive way the detail on this script that I'm writing? Always be curious. Always push forward. Even if you feel like this is a waste of time, you know it, it's about dedicating. Dedicating yourself to the the concept of, of idea building, I think little little steps take you quite a ways down the road. How do you how do you sort of delineate the the creativity that is required for your your day job and differentiate that from the stuff that you want to do for yourself. And I know you have that hour in the morning and that's probably a pretty hard and fast line once it, you know, switches over from 829 to 830 and you're in a Zoom call, you're in a procedural sort of thing and that, and maybe it's natural to kind of flip that switch. But in the event that you're not able to shut that off, do you make a point to get back to it later in the day? Do you find that the particular kind of creativity involved with your job contaminates your personal or vice versa. How do you manage that? Another good question. So learning opportunities. I was a very poor kid. Always had to work multiple jobs, but I I was also a rare bird being the white sheep of a family of (laughs) they're like, you haven't been to jail yet. What's wrong with you, boy? (laughs) Um, My vice was my creativity. I poured all my money into that, but I'm at a point in my life where I I paid off my house just because I, I never did the, (laughs) I never had the bad drug habit. I'm the most boring person you will ever meet. I don't, I'm just, all I do is, think of things and try to create things. 
So at that 729 moment, you know, all my life, money was very important. I had to respect that day job because it's what fed, you know, my, uh, my desire to create things. Your vice. My vice. So what, what I try to do in my day job is learn new things. That commercial we're doing for the hospital, what if we do a time lapse and we can use one of those motion control things? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm using it as a test ground for my <laughs> personal work. And, and I deliver production value to my crew at the office, they're like, whoa, you know, I will go into After Effects and do, we had no budget for this thing. Well, I want to learn how to do the 3D spatial things in After Effects. Or, you know, I want to try to, I'll paint these logos out of this uh, spot we've got here. Just, wow, you you saved that spot because they had the physician badges on the doctor's jackets and you know, we couldn't have used that spot um, unless those were removed. Uh, do that stuff all the time just to learn. So that, uh, but turning it on and off, it's not a problem. It's like, as long as I'm not being a, an administrator, I don't want to do that, you know. So my wife's a graphic designer and I, for the longest time, had the hardest time understanding that just because she doesn't have Photoshop or Illustrator or Quark or whatever back in the day. Right. And doesn't appear to be working, working. The time spent thinking counts and it's kind of butt in chair time. And even, right. and even then she could be working and mulling things over that I, you can't see. Yeah. So it's, it was, sometimes it's hard for me to like, why aren't you working on this thing? You know, it's do it for, or, you know, and I'm the one that does the billing. So it's like, I have to in some ways manage the project. Sort of, but not really. And it's like, it doesn't look like there's work being done, but there is, right? So that hour that you spend, like you were saying, even if you're not actively drawing, painting, whatever, you're still researching, you're still thinking, you're mulling. You've heard the expression, I do my best work when I have a deadline. <laughs> That's right. It's um, it's true. Motivation. Yeah, it's motivation, but you take that opportunity to give yourself the ticking clock, you know, uh, I know at four o'clock to do this ad, I have to be ready to crank it out. Right. And, uh, use that time up till then to fact find and do all that, that all that, which needs to be done. Imagine Stephen King. You think he just sits at the typewriter and types? Well, yeah, he probably does <laughs> bad, bad, but there, you know, a, a journalist, for instance, you know, they do most of their work out asking questions and that's work that's but they're considered writers so but those stories probably also get assembled in the car ride back to the station exactly, or yeah. back to their office to type yeah. it type it up where they're processing what's gone in and even like that phrase i do my best work when i'm when i have a deadline yes but I think that people don't do their best work at the last minute. I think they work at the last minute, but I don't think their best work comes from, I think, in my personal opinion, being able to put some of that together 
mull it over, look at it, revise it, make a second draft, a third draft, and have, it, have time to polish it and refine it. What, the reason I think people say they do their best work when they're under a deadline is because that's when they're focused the most. I lo- yeah, I love the word focus. They're, Absolutely. They're, they hear that ticking clock and they know they have to concentrate on what they're doing. And that's when the pieces start to fall together. So if you can teach yourself to concentrate without the pressure of that ticking clock, then you can do your best work and you can focus for the life of the project and have even greater opportunity to ref- to refine and polish it. I, th- I think you bring up another tangent uh, about what makes creative people. I know a lot of creative people that have an adult, uh, adult attention deficit disorder, and they never seem to get one thing done. They're always like easily distracted. And but Ryan Watherspoon, the uh, lead mm-hmm. of Fog. Um, he can get off on a tangent easy, but that dude can focus. It's like a gift. And <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anybody so focused in my life than Ryan Watherspoon. Mm-hmm. He's learned to cope with that part of his personality that he uses it to his advantage. You know, um, that's, I, he's an amazing person to watch. Well, I know a lot of people like, they, they almost kind of like that pressure of, it's do it for, so it's going to take me two hours. I'm going to start at two and don't leave themselves any wiggle room. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm getting it done at noon because I hate that feeling. So Agreed. I tend to knock things off my list early. I think I'm a bit of both. I, I'm a planner. I, I like um, going on to a shoot, having all the elements in place and having time to experiment. You know, I afford myself the opportunity to think differently for people. Um, That's something else I learned in my professional job. When you work with clients, my rule of thumb is give them what they want and give them what you think they need. Um, I bet you guys have heard that before. And the idea of that is, you know, the expectation of here's your print ad and these are all the elements, but I was thinking, so, all right, in my day job, getting to play, use my creativity. What do you think about this? We do this with your product. We put it, you know, here. No one's ever seen it there before. I remembered what I was going to say. Fruition. Another word I love. Fruition. For those of you out there struggling and you feel like I don't have time to be creative, I, I just can't ever seem to get, get something done, good or bad. If you're writing a short story, write five pages of absolute garbage, but have a beginning, a middle, and end. Your second draft will be much better. Do something. Finish something. That uh, my, my oldest son, just he's 25 now, wrote a book. I mean, I don't know how many. He started it when he was about 22, 23. I don't know many 23-year-olds that have finished a 400-page book. Is it the best book in the world? No. It's a really good book, though. I'm just blown away at how he allowed himself to be creative. He put no limitations on himself. And he's he's actually get, he gets depressed about it because no one's like, you know, just throwing accolades at him. And of course, we know that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. You, you don't just get praise for finishing something. 
They do throw stuff at you, so, but it's not accolades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's still uh, hurts, though. It does hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he did it. Mm. So finish something. Yeah, you know, you know. A lot of times, people and we. The last episode, we were talking about how hard it is to get started on projects, and a lot of people. Um, one of the to kind of tack on to the last episode is they don't give themselves permission to start something unless they feel like they're going to be good at it. Yeah. You have to start somewhere. You can't, you can't keep putting off starting on starting a project or learning a new thing because you'll always be watching YouTube videos or, you know, you'll always be trying to learn how to do it. And if you don't give yourself permission to start right, knowing that it's not, it might not be good. So can you imagine, I'm, I'm not a golf fan, but this analogy comes to mind. Tiger Woods steps up to his first tee drives, uh, you know, he hits the fairway. He was like, and becomes totally depressed because he didn't go right in the hole. Right. You know, it's like you, you have to start somewhere. I I think that's, um, a lot of people argue that starting is the hardest step, taking the first step, you know, when, um, the, the, the reason I did fog, it was, Basically, the Tennessee Screenwriters Association had, uh, they have an annual competition. Uh, Bob Giordano, I think, was president at the time. His idea was, well, let's make this uh, a contest of, um, you know, the best screenplay that could, you know, micro budget that could be actually shot. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to do that because that might be something I can actually do, (laughs) you know. And uh, I won. They gave me 500 bucks. I thought, oh, man, I can make a movie now with 500 bucks. <laughs> um, uh, about four years later and a heart attack, I uh, got it made. So but that's um, it was taking that first step that uh, I knew I was going to. I knew when I wrote the first page of that screenplay, I was going to make that movie. I just, I saw it in my head. You had a screenwriting competition. You knew you wanted to enter. How did, how did you come up with the basic idea? Did you dream it? Did you just decide, I want to do a a movie about a psychopath? Um, Those are all in the ballpark. Um, (laughs) I'm fascinated with how the mind works. I was reading a book by a writer, uh, his name, he's a, 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 neurologist, uh, neuroscientist. His name's David Eagleman. Um, and his book was called incognito. And, uh, basically it's, um, the book is a very complicated book, but in, in a nutshell, he, he tries to explain how our brain is not just one, one thing that stores information. And runs per uh, one big master program. Your brain is basically a very sophisticated multi drive <laughs> biological storage device. And, um, you know, they found that we have, you ever heard the term muscle memory? Mm-hmm. They've found neural cells in other parts of your body. There, there may be some science to muscle memory. So, but long story short, one big part of that book was his discussion about empathy and the amygdala and how that's the place that 
your brain that, um, you know, small amygdala usually means, you know, you've got some aggression problems and you lack empathy. That's where a lot of sociopaths are born. It develops as a child. So you guys all know if you're held as a child, it's good for your brain. Well, they, they've learned that children that are held, their brains grow much more healthier. All kinds of things I, I learned, but empathy. I, I just thought, like any other disease, what if they cured empathy, you know, or a <laughs> lack of empathy? Mm-hmm. What if what if a sociopath was suddenly given feelings and emotions, and uh, like Frankenstein, it, it it didn't quite work out the way <laughs> the doctors wanted, and all that started unraveling, and all these. Now, now this person, the sociopath, realizes what it feels like to have feelings, and he hates it, you know, uh, and he he starts losing that ability to feel sorry for people. That I just thought, what a dynamic, you know, that would um, put um, it actually make you feel kind of sorry for the sociopath and. Those sort of... um, If you're empathetic. If you're empathetic. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the genesis of the idea, and it just kind of grew in in, in pieces from there. So, Do you find that your creativity comes from from the time that you sit down and sort of force yourself to be creative, Mm -hmm. or does it just pop in your head? It just comes to you? I often grab something that just fascinates me. Um, Abraham Lincoln worked the same way, apparently, you know, taught himself to read, reading the Bible and all that. No, I, I just like curiosity. I, I, that's my word. I want a t-shirt. This is curiosity, uh, foster curiosity. Um, just things just capture my imagination and, and don't let go. And you can do that while you have a day job, <laughs> you know, to bring it back to, to topic, you know, uh, you know, you have to feed your mind the right things, you know. Um, Do you feel like, um, I, I, I feel like, I'll, I'll just say it for myself, I feel like a lot of people don't realize how many plates creatives have spinning at any given time. Yeah. And they are, they're, or maybe a better analogy is you have a, you have a kitchen that's full of ovens and some things need to be in the oven for a long time. And some things are only in there on broil for two and a half minutes. Yeah. And, um, and you're managing all of them. You're, you're, you're aware of all of them. You're aware of where each of them is in its growth process and it's, you know, what stage of maturation it is. You're aware of what ingredients are it needs next and where each of them is going, and um, that sort of patience that you have while you wait for these things to happen is every bit as much of the work of the project as the actual writing of the words or assembly of the different bits and pieces or whatever. That That's a great observation. The take, for instance, early... Quentin Tarantino, you know, he, I think he's a better writer now than he was when he first started and he's always been a great writer, but, uh, I I think everyone matures creatively if you're creative. So does your work change? 
uh, Duel, I mentioned Duel, uh, Steven Spielberg, is that movie the same as Schindler's List? Well, you can almost see the progression, you know, just in one one quick step and all the processes that he had to learn or be patient with from point A to point B. Uh, I love your visual of spinning plates in the air. It's so, so true. Uh, and we all do that, but that's just something you have to learn. You have to learn to juggle. I mean, you know, you could criticize Jackson Pollock for the action painting. What, you know, to a lot of people, that's a joke. My kid can do it. It wasn't the painting itself. That was the process. It was the abstraction of what he was trying to do, uh, that was the art, not the finished piece, you know, and a lot of people don't allow themselves, they, they get reactionary. You walk into me, this movie sucks, man. Thor sucks. He, you know, Thanos killed everybody. Thanos sucks. You know, people are so reactionary um, and Thanos did suck, but <laughs> um, you as the creator have to be more patient than you as the viewer. You know, um, I get frustrated when people don't, when you give someone a, uh, let's say a screenwriting competition, we give them your script and they guarantee you notes back and you can tell when they haven't read the screenplay or they read the first 10 pages and, and they're asking, you should have done this. And I did do that on page 36, but yeah, you have to be patient and learn to pace yourself. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's another important part. Post-heart attack, Elvis would say that. But uh, um, it, I think maturity. Artists have to mature. When you're doing client work, I mean, ultimately you're trying to please someone, right. Right? right? So when you're doing client work, you're trying to please the client or please your boss if you're trying to, if you work for somebody else. If you're working for yourself, you're writing a script, you're working on fog, you're working on your own projects, you're trying who are you trying to please yourself or ultimately are you trying to please the people that will consume your film? Like who 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 is the audience and who are you trying to please? I think you uh, you know the difference is your day job, you get paid for it and you have to ultimately please the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so think of uh, your own work as freedom. You know, you, you really don't have to please anyone other than the idea. I, I work, uh, you know, at least 40, 50 hours a week. So when I get the moment to work on my own work, it's precious. It's absolutely precious. Um, and I get very cranky if Elvis doesn't get his little bit of creative time. Um, so I don't know how you guys feel, but when I get to sit down, it's like, I feel the hunger, <laughs> you know, it's like, nom, 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 nom. this is, this is good. You know, I guess I just, I have to be really exhausted to not really enjoy my time with my creative project. So I, and I'm, I'm, I hear you, you know, not everybody feels that way. They get into their, writer's block or the creative block. Um, again, if I'm having that, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I do something else, you know, I'm, I never, 
never settle. You know, I just, I'm always trying to be in motion. How do you, Chris, how do you, um, evaluate yourself as the client? And if you're working on something for yourself, what's, how does that differ from what you do for a client? Well, I guess when you're working for a client, you, you get feedback, positive, you know, pat on the back, boy, that's good. I like the way you did that. And not even, you know, taking money out of it, right? It's just, you've, you've accomplished something that was a directive that was given to you and it feels good to, to put something to bed that you, you finished it. It's a project that you wrapped up and it was checked, signed off on by a client. But what happens when it's not an attaboy, something goes wrong? What happens then? It never happens to me. (laughs) (laughs) I please everyone. No, but I mean, so you, you please the client, they leave happy and that, that gives you a certain a feeling, right? Regardless of the money, when you're working for yourself, it's you, you get to please yourself all the time. Like you, you get to do what you, you, you steer the boat in the way that makes you feel the happiest. Right. I mean, why would you purposefully steer the boat into water that you, that made you stressed or unhappy? Right. Well, you, you wouldn't, steer. but what happens when you do? Uh, accidentally. Well, that's, the, that's the only way that that happens, Well, accidentally. No, I mean, some, I'm sure some people, glutton for punishment, would like to steer the boat into the rocks. I don't. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that uh, you're in control. You're only going to steer the boat in a direction that's going to make you happy, but you don't know that it's going to make you happy until you've steered the boat there. So it's a catch-22. What happens when you make a decision and you say, I'm going to take the boat in this direction, or I'm going to take the project in this direction, and then you go, and then you realize that that isn't making you happy, right? A failure. No, it can't be a failure. No, 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 but but it becomes a failure because it's not where you wanted the boat to go. No, but it's not a failure yet, Okay. right? Because you you back out and you go another way. Right. That's like saying if you're running the race and you fall down, you failed. I don't see that as being the thing that is different between your paying job and your personal work, because in your in your day job, I don't think they the boss wants you to fail at all. They want you to have everything so predetermined. It's it's okay. It's moving forward regardless of the outcome. We demand more of ourselves in our personal work, which is the way it should be. So failure actually becomes a creative component of what we do. And, uh, man, sometimes that's you, – you've heard the term happy accident. Um, that that it, it sometimes will surprise you. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, if I hadn't have watched – <laughs> duel the other night. I wouldn't have gotten this idea about this new movie. You know, I think we should allow, uh, we've probably said this three or four times, allow yourself some failure. Back it up. Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with that. I, th- I think that failure, if everything went smoothly, you would not learn anything. Yeah. And you have to, that's all part of it. And when I teach, I tell my students, listen, I don't care if you fail 250 times it's like if you fall down 250 times 
I, all I care about is if you get up 251 times. That's it. Well, and in a very real sense, I say, whatever success you have is going to be built on a mountain of failure. So in a way, the person in here that fails the most is going to get the best grade in this class. Yeah. And that's a very different way for people to think of it. And it, it challenges their thinking, but you have to see the value in that. And, you know, the th the three of us competed in a film competition for the Nashville Noir Film Festival. We, we ended up winning it, but we stumbled through that process because so much of what we were trying to do with our film, neither of us had ever done before. We were filming things in different ways. We were trying new techniques. And it was, an, it was like being in a laboratory for a weekend. And that's what made it exciting. And that's what gave birth to something that was maybe perhaps a little bit out of the box. But there was a lot of failure involved in that process. So the failure is integral. The, the something you said made me think also about an individual. Creatives come in many different flavors. I know this one kid uh, who I almost hired as a um, graphic designer. He, he he was one of the best artist designers I think I'd ever met, but he was so mousy and quiet. I just knew he would be eaten alive. I just, I just knew in the work environment I had our interaction with clients and, you know, people above, above our grade, it, 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 he just wouldn't survive. Um, so I, I'd be interested in what you guys think about. It. It's like, then there are guys like me that can take a punch. You know, I get beaten up all the time. If you're going to be a screenwriter, people, oh yeah, that is a stupid thing you just wrote. You know, you take a lot of verbal abuse on your ideas, the stuff that you pour out of your heart. Uh, when I read uh, some of the reviews of fog, Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it's a, uh, but it was kind of fun at the same time. But I know there are people that are beautifully constructed people that do beautiful things, but can't operate in some of these environments that we're talking about. So what about the people that are creative, just super talented, but the world beats them down? How do they find their space and their air to be creative? you know, just to do their thing, you know, my, my I feel empathetic toward those people because I've seen them. I've seen people quit altogether. Uh, I just couldn't handle it. Man, I feel like the world loses voices every day because it's, it's a tough place out there for artists. It takes a hardy individual sometimes to be an artist. You think the, you said the 2021 version of Elvis can take a punch what about the 1982 version of Elvis? Could he take a punch? I've always been, uh, I, I'm not kidding when I say I'm the white sheep of my family. They thought I was the weird art kid and I'm like, fine. I embraced it and I just didn't give a crap what people thought about me and the, the weird things I was doing. I, I Early on, I just, I lost that part of caring what people thought of me. Do you think that's the difference between the mousy graphic design artists who wouldn't be able to handle it in the real world is that they 
there's a belief that they're creating art for other people or that they want to do their art for the appreciation of other people. I, I, w- I think that's a good observation. I do think this one particular person wanted other people to like what he was doing. More than he wanted to like what he was no, doing. I think he liked both. I think he enjoyed the process, but he could only operate creatively in certain parts of this world, you know. Once you, once you accept yourself, once you say, that's good, I believe that's good, and I don't care what other people say, I'll stand by it, and that'll allow me to move on to my next thing and my next thing, and people can say no all they want. Yeah. Then they get that little bit of happiness. But I know all of us, you know, we've heard no the overwhelming majority of the time, right? And we don't care about that anymore. Yeah. I guess it's like the Van Gogh who never knew success in his own lifetime. Yeah. Success in the eyes of others. Right. But he was happy. Yeah. Well, was he? <laughs> well, I'm, he look, felt, he, he, he didn't quit. Yeah. He did. He was driven to be creative. He did, he didn't Isn't that quit. what we're here for? It's like, you have to be true to your nature. They didn't put his flame yeah. out. Yeah. They, right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. We sure appreciate you coming by today. We should have recorded this because this is going to, probably going to be something we want to build on the next time you come back. <laughs> what? That was a good test. You ready to roll? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do. Let's do the first take. We've done practice. How many yeah. times did, on on fog did you uh, say, "All right, let's let's roll," and then not roll, and then realize? Oh, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we should all tell a story. Okay. Oh, uh, we've all got that kind of story. Uh, yeah. Oh, I got a good one. So. Abraham Lincoln, being Lincoln, men with hats. I get, I, I'm again, like I said, I'm not afraid to approach anybody. I have no, I, I have no embarrassment bone in my body. I thought I'm making this documentary about Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to the Smithsonian Institution. I'm going to interview a, a Lincoln authority, and I'm, I wanted to find an Abraham Lincoln hat. I sent an email to uh, Harry Rubenstein at the Smithsonian and said, Hey, I'm doing this documentary. This is what it's about. Uh, It's not a documentary about Abraham uh, Lincoln, but rather the people who represent and impersonate Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I want to talk to you. I thought I'll never hear back from this guy. Elvis love this idea. Come up and see me. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, so, um, and we didn't have a lot of money at that time. So a ticket from Nashville to DC plus staying, filming, and, you know, just, you know, it's, it costs money to do these sort of things. And we scraped up some money and uh, my wife is like, good luck, honey. And I get up there and set up the camera. We have like, he, he says, I've only got 45 minutes. We, did an hour and a half. He said, man, this is such a, I'm just so glad I cannot wait to see the, see what you do with this documentary. It sounds like, you know, it's a very interesting topic. I went, thank you so much. And I get home, pop in the the disc and I'm ready to, oh, I'd never hit record. (laughs) 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 I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm having sweats right now. Just remembering it. I did not, Hit the record button. <laughs> I tell my wife she is livid with me. Okay.
call him and see if you can go back up there. I went, really? So I, I, I tell him the truth. And that's another thing. Always be truthful because we're humans. We make mistakes. He said, no problem. Be here on this day and we'll do it again. I did it. It's in the movie. Yeah. I have, I have my expert in the movie. So, uh, I failed. I learned something new. (laughs) Uh, you know, I I had a great interview, you know, um, and I, I got respect from an academic who saw how much passion I had for what I was working on. So you want to tell your story or are we just going to leave that, leave it there? Oh, well, I mean, it's not, not nearly as, uh, That's, we just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of like to end these, uh, these episodes with, uh, what, what was your most recent impulse buy? So Mark, what was your impulse buy this week? My impulse buy was a true impulse buy. Uh, I filled up with gas. I had to go in for the receipt. I went in, I saw pop tarts on the shelf I normally buy strawberry Pop-Tarts. I went over there. They had so many different kinds of Pop-Tarts. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen all the different kinds of Pop-Tarts they had. I ended up buying blueberry. They were not good. I found that out later. So I'm going back to strawberry. So my impulse buy was a pack of blueberry Pop-Tarts. Well, I know you guys have fancy cameras and stuff, but I don't. And I'm a micro-budget filmmaker. Last night on eBay, I saw a GH5, and I just bought it. That, that's a whole. That's going to be a whole episode. Is yeah, um, is gear like not right? That the fact that you can, you don't need it. You don't need all that yeah. stuff. I hope you do because, you know, everybody says, "Oh, you can make a, a movie with an iPhone." You can. You literally can. Yeah. Well, uh, my impulse buy this week was I decided that I needed a new phone case, um, and it's the kind of thing that's hard to buy unless you go to the store and sort of try them out. So I just ordered two, picked my favorite, and I'm returning the other one. Yeah, there you go. You got a new phone case. So Elvis, where can we find some of your work online, especially the uh, Being Lincoln film? Yeah. Right? We, we, where can we find that? Yeah, um, YouTube, uh, Google, Google. Query. <laughs> Google should get a nickel every time someone says Google. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't give them that idea. I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah. But query on YouTube, uh, being Lincoln, uh, being Lincoln men with hats and you'll find it. But uh, I'm not trying to make any more money. We had a good run. I uh, just hope people can enjoy the film. It's a very family friendly film. My, both of my kids are in the, in the movie, by the way, little, have little cameos. Uh, um, so it was a passion project. I hope everyone will watch. Um, but um on Instagram, I'm the other Elvis. On Twitter, which I never visit Twitter, I'm the other Elvis as well. Uh, but most of my work you can find on my Vimeo stream. Just Google uh, query. <laughs> just query Elvis Wilson. Okay, and then you've also got ElvisWilson.com for Elv- your graphic design. Yeah. yeah, and I've got a few f- uh, motion samples there as well. And Mark, where where can we find our information online? Let's get. Well, our our production company is Penumbra Entertainment, and you can uh, visit our website at penumbra-ent.com. And that's probably the best place to find out uh, more information about this podcast and about other projects that we have going on right now, penumbra-ent.com. And Penumbra Films on Instagram. We try to update that as well. 
So cool. Well, thanks so much, Elvis. Thank you. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Yeah.